I want to share with you about mammon. M-A-M-M-O-N. Mammon. When you think of that word or you hear that word, those of you that are... You know, when's the last time you heard that in your normal conversation with anybody? It doesn't come up, does it? If you're familiar with that word, what do you think of when you hear the word mammon? Somebody said manna again. <laughs> Get that out of your head. Mammon. What do you think of? Primarily money, if you're familiar with it. About the only place you'll hear that word is in the Bible these days. And you'll hear it from the very mouth of Jesus. And he actually spoke this word only three times that are recorded actually in the scripture. And we're going to be looking at this today. The title of my message is, "It's Mammon is More Than Money. It is more than money. Most people, if you're familiar with the Bible, that's where you'd be familiar with that term mammon. And we usually just connect it immediately to money. And it's way, way more than money. I want to read a scripture to you from Matthew 6.24. Familiar. We've been talking about this. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. In the context of that scripture, and we'll look at that a little bit later, the context more, but Jesus is doing a teaching about your treasure, storing up your treasure, laying us up a treasure. And in that section of scripture, as we come up with that verse where, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. So in this section of scripture, he is talking about priorities, attitude of the heart, attitude of the heart. And he tells the people in this message, you cannot serve both. Now, when you say that, that needs to let us know that there is an assumption there that you could serve one or the other, right? You could serve this mammon thing, whatever it is, just like you could serve God. But he is saying, Jesus is saying, you can't serve both. It's impossible to serve both. If you try, you're going to end up hating one and loving the other, serving one, despising the other. You can't do it. It's impossible. But it is possible to serve one or the other. And this is what Jesus is cautioning about. So what is mammon? Now, if you saw the video this morning, you know Robert's title, I think, of this week's message was something like the spirit of mammon. The spirit of mammon. And he makes the case that mammon, there is a spirit of mammon in the world today. There is a spirit of mammon, it is the spirit of the world. It's a demonic spirit, if you would, the spirit of mammon. Changes our, our, our thinking, it shifts our thinking from just money to something more significant than money. Where did the word come from? Well, some people think that it came from a Syrian god or during the time of the Assyrian Empire, a god of wealth, a pagan god named Mammon. And they believed that Jesus was speaking not just about money when he was speaking to the people. Remember, the Jews at one time had been in exile to Assyrian Empire, in exile to Babylon. They had been there. 
And he, a lot of people teach that he is specifically telling them, you can't serve that spirit. You cannot serve that God and serve me. It's not possible to do that. So some people think it was an Aramaic word, and it looks like for sure the word has some Aramaic um, roots. And the Aramaic word simply meant riches or wealth beyond money, riches and wealth. And then some people think it came from the Hebrew word, A-M-A-N, aman. And this simply meant something that you put your trust in, something that you confide in. So you can see there's not unanimous agreement in exactly where the word came from or exactly what it might mean, but it is very clear that it means putting your trust in something else, wealth or riches. It's materialism. It's actually like when we read about it, it's wealth or materialism personified, personified as a spirit, the spirit of mammon. Matthew 6. I'm going to read these verses, I think. I'm going to read in Matthew 6, starting in verse 24, which I just read. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. For this reason, for this reason is how the next verse starts. For what reason? Because you can't serve them both. It won't work. He says, for this reason, this is Jesus, I say to you, don't be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the the air that they do not sow, neither do they reap. They don't gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more? Then they, you see where Jesus is going with this? You're focusing on the wrong thing. You're submitting to the wrong spirit, this spirit of mammon. And it's stealing your peace. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to your lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow, and they do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more do so for you, O you men of little faith? Do not be anxious, then saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we clothe ourselves with? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I share those scriptures so you get the context where Jesus is teaching the people, you can't serve two masters. You start serving that master over there, your peace is gone, your joy is gone, love is gone, anxiety, worry, and fear takes over. I'm the only one, and we'll see that. I'm the only one that can give you those things. Robert makes a point of saying it this way. The spirit of mammon rests on money and material goods. 
It's easy to talk about money because we can all picture it real easily. But all material goods, whatever wealth, whatever riches, whatever we put value in, whatever we look to that's going to meet needs in our life or we think are going to meet needs in our life, whatever that might be, they're a liar. But it wants to rule your life. It wants to control your life. The Spirit of God can rest on our money. Now, last week, Matthew talked about first fruit. The first fruit, really the whole concept there is this. Give of the first because it's an act of faith that I will provide what you need. Don't be worrying about what you're going to eat, what you're going to clothe yourself with. It's an act of faith, first fruits. And he's saying here that the, the Spirit of God rests on the rest of your wealth, the west, uh, rest of your riches, whatever else God has blessed you with. This is the underlying thing that we need to be concerned about, especially when we realize and think of it in terms of it's a spirit of mammon. This spirit of mammon wants to rule. It's looking for servants. It's looking for worshipers. Mammon tries to take the place of God. Now, that sounds silly until you think about what do we look to to provide things that we think we need in our life that mammon will give us, money, riches, homes, cars, you name it. What do we look to? There's a pastor named Jimmy Evans. Some of you might have heard, heard of him before. He's a pastor down in Texas, Amarillo, Texas, at Trinity Fellowship Church. He worded it this way, and I like the way he said it. Mammon promises, promises us those things only God can give. Security, significance. Identity, independence, power, and freedom. Mammon tells us it can insulate us from life's problems and that money is the answer to every situation. Have you ever said these words? If I only had more money. If I only had more money. And when you say those words and you hear those words, what follows? If I only had more money. I wouldn't have so many things to worry about. If I only had more money, I'd be more happy. If I only had more money or other material goods, if I just had a bigger house, or I had a newer car, I'd have so much more peace and so much more rest. If I only had more money, there'd be so much more joy in my life. If I only had more money, people would respect me more. They'd listen to me more. They'd think more highly of me if I only had more money. Do you see how money, the spirit of mammon, is trying to get us to look to that as our source? And only God is our source. Only God can give us all those things that we're talking about. And you might be sitting there saying, wait a minute, if I have a pocket full of money, I can go buy a lot of stuff. Absolutely true. But what is all that stuff? Just a lot of stuff. It doesn't take very long until after you went and bought some stuff that was supposed to change your life dramatically forever, you're miserable again. It doesn't take long. Because mammon, that spirit of mammon, all it wants is to control you. All it wants is for you to think that it can replace God in your life. Only God can truly give peace, love, joy, etc. And when you compare the spirit of mammon or the spirit of the world 
with the Spirit of God and the way we as Christians should think, you'll see some amazing differences. Look at the buy and sell. How do I get more money? Buy and sell. I'm going to buy something, and I'm going to buy it cheap, and then I'm going to sell it to you, and I'm going to sell it to you for way more money, and then I'm going to be happy. What does the Word of God say? Sow and reap. Sow and reap. Out of a generous heart, sow. And God promises as we sow, we will reap the blessings of God. Attitude of the heart comes into play. The spirit of mammon is selfish where the spirit of God is generous. Spirit of mammon really says, go get whatever you want. Take it. If you got to cheat a little bit, that's okay. You deserve it. You got to lie just a little bit, that's okay. You need more money. Go get it. Word of God, the Spirit of God says, give and you will receive. It's such a sharp contrast. And if if you're like me, and some of you are, because not not many of us are perfect, but we deceive ourselves. (laughs) I hate it when you say amen. When we, when we look at these things, it's easy to deceive myself in thinking, yeah, that spirit of mammon thing, thank God it hasn't got its hooks in me. And then I just kind of go through the day and realize how many times I can go that direction almost quickly, immediately. All of a sudden, I am thinking about the material things, the riches, the wealth, the money, whatever it is. And I'm forgetting to look at the source. As soon as my eyes get off of God as my source, my whole mindset changes. And so does yours. We think differently. And that's why we need to be meditating on the word continually, at least in our mind and the way we live, and checking our thoughts and seeing what in the world, spirit, is controlling my thoughts. Where am I going? One of the things that... Robert pointed out that really struck me was in this aspect of mammon wants to rule. Can mammon rule? Can mammon control? Scripture he looked at, he didn't quote the scripture exactly, but it's in Revelations 13. Scripture, once you hear them, you're going to be very familiar with. Scriptures, Revelation 13, 16 through 18. This is the time of the Antichrist. That horrible time before Jesus comes back. It says this, he causes all, the Antichrist, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand and on their foreheads. And that no one may buy or sell except the one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him with understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is six, six, six. Have you ever thought about that beyond the number of the beast, the mark of the beast, to realize Antichrist wants to control the world and he's going to do it through economics? I can't buy and sell. Wow. I hope I'm not around. I hope I'm out of here before then. How will I feed myself? How will I feed my family? 
Our thoughts go in that direction immediately. Who's our source? Who's our source? The power of that lie, that spirit of mammon, can control our lives. That big lie, if I only had more, all my problems would disappear. Anybody know any wealthy people who seem to have problems? <laughs> don't, don't be looking around the room. You know, but these mega stars out there and whatever career, entertainment, or professional athletes, um, boy, we can read about these wealthy people and we hear something and we go, how can they think that way? How could they be so depressed? How could they commit suicide? They're bazillionaires. Spirit of mammon does not fulfill anything. So I want to make clear, money and mammon are not synonymous. They are not the same thing. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, it says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Notice again, and I I believe most of us here understand this, that scripture is not about money in the sense that it's calling it evil. Money is not evil. Money is neutral. Money can be a blessing from God. I hope he blesses all of us with the right heart, with all the money we could possibly ever imagine having. Because it will be a blessing and we'll see with what we can do and what the Lord can do with that money. It's not the money, it's the love of money. It's that worship of money. It's that bowing to that spirit of mammon. And one of the primary manifestations of it is greediness. Jesus isn't telling us to hate it. But he is telling us no one can serve two masters. And he is telling us in that verse in Matthew that I read earlier that if you love him as our master, you will hate mammon. Not money. You will hate mammon. It may be money. It could be any wealth or riches. But he's telling us you will hate it. Money, as we'll see, can be used for righteous purposes and unrighteous purposes together. The primary scripture that Robert used in his teaching today was found in Luke chapter um, chapter 6, chapter 16, starting at verse 9. Starting in verse 9. And this is a complicated parable. One of the parables of Jesus is some of them are complicated, but a lot of people struggle with parts of this parable. In particular, God using uh, seems to be complimenting someone who does something with unrighteous mammon. It says, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is an unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust true riches? Verse 12, and if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? 
No servant can serve two masters, for either will hate the one, love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And look at verse 14. It has nothing to do with my message, but I think it adds something to it. I hope it's up there, is it? Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard these things, and they derided him. The Pharisees loved money. Unrighteous mammon. Notice, it talks about unrighteous mammon, not necessarily money, first of all. It's unrighteous because, what makes it unrighteous? It's unrighteous because it promises, but it can't deliver. That makes it unrighteous. It promises all these things that we think money will get for us, mammon will get for us, but it can't deliver. Short-term gratification that does not last. Nothing eternal about it. When mammon is submitted to God, wealth or riches that is submitted to God, it is blessed by God. This is a scripture that uh, we read uh, two weeks ago in Malachi. It's telling us that submitted to God, God rebukes the devourer for us. It says, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for in your field, says the Lord of hosts. And you may remember last two weeks ago, the Lord of hosts who does not change. Mammon, wealth, riches, unrighteous mammon, submitted to God, becomes righteous. He blesses it. His spirit is upon it. He rebukes the devourer. We sometimes call it a spirit of poverty, but oftentimes it's nothing more than, it's a spirit of mammon. We're worshiping something that cannot fulfill our needs. And in our American culture, man, we are just bombarded every day with what mammon will do for us in our lives. Look at the marketing campaigns that are out there. If you buy this, you will be this. If you haven't got this, you can't possibly be happy. They spend multi-million dollar advertising campaigns selling you something you absolutely do not need, but they convince you you can't live without it. There's the answer to my happiness. The world system, the spirit of the world, mammon. It can be used for good to bless others. He tells us, love what is eternal. Love what is eternal. You know, he talks about true riches. Uh, verse, what verse am I looking at here? 11. Therefore, if you have not been faithful and unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust true riches? Those of you here this morning could answer this question, but what are true riches? The rest of us need to think about this for a second. What are true riches? True riches that last Forever. Eternal riches. What is that? What can I invest in? My car is getting old. Cindy's is getting older. Our house needs repair all the time. Things break down. We burn a lot of stuff or haul it to the landfill. What are true riches? Only one thing, right? How many of us know what that one thing is? 
Those of you that were in the watched the video all know the answer to this. What are true riches? People's souls. They are the only thing that are eternal. That's it. Everything else is temporal. Everything else will be destroyed. Or as we heard this morning, it's all going to burn. It's all going to burn. None of it will last forever. True riches. If I can't trust you with unrighteous mammon, how would I ever give you true riches? How would I ever, how would I ever give you influence over souls? The human soul is eternal. And then he said in those verses, verse 9, I don't know if she's able to put those back up there as I go, but, and I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting home. That word there in the original language that's translated fail implies when you die, when something comes to a complete end. Now read that verse. When you die, When you die, there will be those that will greet you into your everlasting home. He talks about if I entrust with you true, if you invest in true riches, souls. If you take that mammon, that unrighteous mammon, and invest it in souls, there will be a welcoming committee when you go into heaven. You believe that? Think about that for a minute. I think I've shared this illustration before, but years and years and years and years and years ago, went to a Lowell Lundstrom rally, and he had one person leave the room. How many of you remember this illustration? Just a few. I mean, just the old timers were at that event. He would have said, okay, Ethan, I want you to leave the room. You don't have to leave. Leave the room. Get out of earshot so you can't hear me. And then he said to the rest of the people, I'm going to call him back in just a moment. And when he walks through those doors, I want you guys to stand up and shout and cheer and clap and applaud like you've never done before. Welcoming into heaven. If we are investing in true riches... The missions that you support or we as a church support. Those people that are getting saved because we are using that mammon, the money, the, the, the wealth, the riches, whatever it is, to get into heaven, to impact people's lives, changing their lives forever, being welcomed into your eternal home. God can do this. And God's the only one that can do this, by the way. He's the only one that can take unrighteous mammon and turn it into eternal souls. Mark 6, Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What are we investing in? What are we investing in? 
Who are we investing in? How are we using the money that God has blessed us with? You know, when I was young, every now and then we'd hear about somebody doing something very, very generous. And I would say something to my dad, something like this. And this happened too many times. And you got to remember, growing up, we grew up on a farm. We did not have much. Maybe we had less than that. We didn't know it, but it was not good. But I know my dad's response was usually something like this. Well, they can afford to do that. Anybody in here think like that? If I only had more money, boy, I could change the world. How many of you prayed to win the lottery so you could support a ministry? Don't raise your hands. I've thought that way. And then I decided I haven't bought a ticket, so I'm probably not going to win. But we think that way. We get ensnared into that way of thinking. The reality is what was on the scripture. If you can't be faithful with little, you won't be faithful with much. I've had so many people say the same thing when it comes to tithing. I can't afford to tithe when I make a little bit more. Then I'll tithe. No, you won't. If you can't give $5 on $50, you'll never give $500 on $5,000. It's an attitude of the heart. It's not about legalism. It's not about a law that you better not break. It's an attitude of the heart. Laying up true riches. He says in verse 10, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful all in much, all, <clears throat> also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least will be unjust in much. So no matter what we have, whether we are in that category of little or much, are we faithful with it? It's not about how much, it's about how we use it and what the attitude of our heart is. And the last verse I want to go back to is verse 12. And if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? In this parable, it's a parable about a master. I want to offer up the thought is that in that parable is Jesus our master. If I am not faithful what is his, how will I be faithful with what he's given to me? Think of it in terms of the tithe, for example. If we as Christians, and I think all of us declare this, everything I have belongs to him. Everything I have, he has given to me. Most of us fall into that line of thinking, or at least we tell people we do. And what he's saying is, if you're not faithful what is another man's, in the case of the tithe, God has given us the 100%. But he has retained or desired the 10% in a sense as an offering to redeem the rest. If you're not faithful with what is another man's, how will you be faithful with what is your own? We are to be faithful stewards of all that God gives us. 
to give back to him what he asks us to give back. And that's just a minimum, by the way. And be faithful what he gives us. Be good stewards of the remaining 90%. If a man has not been faithful in what is another man's who will give you what is your own. Why would, you, why would he bless us with more if we're not even faithful with that small 10%? Remember the illustration a few weeks ago? I, I know it was in video, and I might have even mentioned it about the $100 bill. If, if I give Cindy a $100 bill, and then I just ask her to, to give it back to me, or just, Cindy, just give me back $10. She's going to say, yeah, I'll keep the 90 You can have the 10 back. Why would she not be upset about that? I gave her the hundred to begin with, right? It's all, all was mine. I just gave it to her. And now I'm asking for $10 back. It's the concept of the tithe. But again, remember, it's always our heart issue. So what do we want to do with our mammon? The wealth, the riches, the money, your time, your talents that God gives you. Well, I hope you would agree with me. I want my money and I want our money to help people. I want our money, our tithes, our offerings to demonstrate love to people. I want to feed people. I want to care for people. And we want to lead people to Jesus. I don't know about you, but if that picture is anything accurate, I would love when I enter into heaven, whatever that means and looks like, that there are thousands of people standing and cheering and welcoming you into the home, your eternal home, because you handled God's blessings well. Standing ovation. Now, I know when I'm thinking of it here, I'm a little prideful. There I won't be prideful. It'll just be awesome. Awesome. And this is why the devil hates this so much. I believe this is why the devil tries so hard to control us by a spirit of mammon. He knows that as we embrace this spirit of generosity, a spirit of advancing the kingdom, that as we do that, we are literally pulling people out of destination called hell and into the kingdom of God. That's why he hates it so much. I think, I can't remember how he said it in the video, somebody can maybe help me, but we're helping people into heaven, but we're plundering hell. That's what we want to do with all those things that the Lord gives to us. Let the Lord redeem the 90% that we have. And remember, it's always about your heart. Let's close with prayer. Father, once again, I just pray that you would take what we've shared from your word. Open our eyes to truth. If there be anything that's an error, I pray, Lord, that you would not allow it to hinder any of us. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the, the way that, that you teach us in such a way that when we're obedient, 
blessings follow. Lord, I'm so thankful for your promises that our peace and our joy and our hope, love, truly comes from you. You are our source. We don't need to be anxious. We do not need to be worried. We need to be faithful to you, good stewards of what you give us. Bless those around us. Let a spirit of generosity motivate us that we might see people come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. I pray, Father, that this would be on the forefront of our mind every day. Whoever we meet, wherever we meet them. They're people you love that may not even know that yet. And we may have that amazing opportunity to share with them the love of Jesus. And it may cost us something in our eyes, whether it's our time or money, or maybe we give away a car or a coat. But whatever it is, Lord, that we would have on our heart continually advancing the kingdom of God. I pray, Lord, now as we leave, go our separate directions, that you would watch over us, keep us safe, protect us. Help us in our frailty to live lives that bring you glory and honor. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.